0: encourage you, if you've got your Bibles, to open up Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there are some on the table at the back. Please do feel free to help yourself to one, or maybe you've got it on your device. Failing all of that, the words are going to come up on the screen behind me so you can read along. But I would encourage you to look it up for yourself as we read together this afternoon. You know, in these verses, we're going to get to Today, the writer to the Hebrews is going to continue on the same thread of thought that he's been uh, kind of giving over the last chapters and over these last weeks as we've read together. And he's going to continue to layer up for us ways in which Jesus is better. And we've sung about that today, haven't we? Like we've we've sung about him as being better than anything or anyone else. And the book of Hebrews over and over and over again reminds us of how much better Jesus is and how he is better than other things, better than other hopes, better than other things that people might believe in or put their trust in for the forgiveness of sins, better than anyone or anything else. And he's going to continue to layer that up today. And so I want to pray for us quickly And then the way we're going to do this is we'll read and pause and unpack that a little bit and then we'll read some more. And so rather than doing the whole chapter up front, we're just going to kind of take it piece by piece, thought by thought, as we work our way through Hebrews chapter eight together. So let's pray together and then we'll read. Lord, we thank you for your word, but I thank you that by your spirit you inspired people to write these words down for, yes, the encouragement and benefit of believers at the time, but also for our encouragement, for our benefit, that we might know you more, that we might see you in your beauty and your glory and your grace. I pray, Lord, as we read today, that we might catch a glimpse of you in your glory, that we would understand again something of just how amazing you are, of how much better you are, of how worthy of worship and praise and adoration you are. Lord, would you open our eyes to see you in your glory as we read your word together this afternoon. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have hearts ready and eager to respond to what we're going to read this afternoon. Lord, I pray that we would heed some of the warnings that we've already read in Hebrews, that we wouldn't be uh, dull of hearing this afternoon, that we wouldn't be sluggish in our faith this afternoon, but that we would be eager to meet with you and hear from you and receive what you would bring to us this afternoon. For your glory, we ask. Amen. Good. Well, we're going to dive straight in to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. And this is the first thing we read. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. Now, it's a letter. And the problem with chapters and verses is that we end up kind of splitting it into chunks. And then we start with a sentence like this. And we're like, now the point in what we're saying is this. Well, the writer of the Hebrews is referring back to what he's just been saying. And so he starts this chapter saying, what I'm just about to write to you flows out of what I have been writing. And so we need today to give ourselves a quick reminder of what he has been writing. He's been writing about Jesus as a better priest, as one who makes a perfect sacrifice for our sins, one that's fully effective once and for all. He's been writing about... Jesus as a better high priest who would mediate between God and men. A high priest forever who would never be replaced and never be superseded. He's saying, that's what we've been writing about. The point in saying all of that, the point in what we're saying is this. We have such a high priest. So he's been saying about a priest that would last forever, that would never be replaced. A priest who would offer a perfect sacrifice for sins, never to be repeated. A priest who would facilitate perfect, unbroken relationship between God and man. He's saying, we've been talking about a priest like that and the reason we've been writing about that and talking about that is that we have such a high priest. He's saying we have a priest like that. (laughs) We have a priest who's eternal, who won't be replaced. We have a priest whose sacrifice was perfect once and for all. We have a priest who has made it possible for God and man to be in relationship together. And his name is Christ Jesus. Carries on. One who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Saying, we've got a high priest like that, an eternal one, a perfect one, whose sacrifice is fully effective. And what's more, that priest, Christ Jesus, is seated because his work is complete, never to be repeated. He's seated in the place of absolute authority and honor at the right hand of God in heaven. It's quite a way to introduce the chapter, isn't it? He carries on. A minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. What he's saying here is, as if that that I've said isn't enough, that we have this perfect eternal high priest whose sacrifice was once and for all, whose work is now finished and he's seated at the right hand of all authority in heaven, that priest is so superior over all. Well, the location of his ministry is also superior. He doesn't minister in a tent made by people the writer to the Hebrews, we're going to come to it in a minute, is referring to the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, the place where the Israelites would go to meet with God or the priests would go into to meet with God on behalf of the people. He's saying, no, 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 no. That's not where Jesus ministers. His ministry is in the presence of God, in the true tent set up by God and not men. He's better Where he is, is better. His work is better. Where he did his work is better. It's just like layering up everything, everything about Jesus and his work on our behalf is better. It carries on. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest, Jesus, to also have something to offer what was that he doesn't spell it out here because he expects us to know what was Jesus' offering himself the perfect offering he's better his ministry's better the location of his ministry's better his offering is better everything is better We read on from verse 4. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, i.e. his gift is not going to be the same as theirs, it's better. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain The writer here is saying all comparisons between Christ and the priests who have gone before, who served as mediators between God and man, always come out in favor of Jesus. Like they serve as a copy and a shadow. In Exodus 25 we read as God instructs Moses to set up the tabernacle where God would presence himself with his people. And God gave these instructions to Moses, very detailed. He's like, Moses, follow them closely, pay attention, be, be sure you make this exactly how I'm telling you to make it. Why? Because it was supposed to be an earthly copy of the heavenly tabernacle where Jesus' work would be complete, where his ministry would be outworked, where God would be perfectly present with his people forever, the tabernacle, the ministry of the priests, the sacrifices offered, was all just a shadow of the reality of what was to come in Jesus. Just think about that for a minute. What's a shadow like compared with a real thing? It's rubbish, isn't it? like i mean who given the choice between looking at the shadow of something and looking at the real thing would choose the shadow like you just never would if you're married and you're you're outside on a sunny day and you've got a choice you could look at the ground at the shadow of your spouse this kind of slightly misshapen two dimensional dark patch on the ground or you could look up and see your beloved which are you going to choose like anyone and not even just married anyone who's in any kind of relationship with someone who they carry affection for you know what you're going to choose right you look at the real person a great building wonderful piece of architecture maybe you've gone to Paris like you're not going to stand and look at the shadow of the Eiffel Tower and go wow nice shadow you just aren't going to do it you're going to look at the real thing and that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying he's like everything that's gone before Jesus the the sacrifices the temple the Holy of Holies in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, the priestly ministry, all of it, in all of its glory and all of its intricacy, the the tabernacle that Moses set up was incredible. The temple that followed it that was built, inlaid with gold, ornate, just stunning. Like, it was designed that people would walk in and just be like, wow. This is to the glory of God. God must be so amazing because this is phenomenal. And here the writer to the Hebrews says all of it. It's a shadow. It's a shadow of the reality. Jesus' ministry is better. Jesus is better. (laughs) Do you get like... The contrast, what he's trying to say. Like everything that's gone before, everything you read in the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, the sacrificial system, all of that, all of that was just a shadow compared to what Jesus has done. No one in their right mind would choose the shadow. Yeah? No one's going to choose the shadow. Any shadow chooses. Okay, we read on from verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. This is where we get to the crux of this passage, of these verses of what the writer to the Hebrews wants us to see. It's like, all of that just a shadow. Jesus, though, his ministry is so much better. It's as much more excellent than all of that as the covenant, the promise between God and man that he mediates that he makes possible, is better since than the first. This is where we get to it. He's a better priest in every way, and the covenant he mediates is so much more excellent than the old covenant. And this is his point. He says, if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. In other words, if... If the old covenant ministry of the priests in the temple, sacrificing on behalf of the people for the forgiveness of sins, if the sacrificial system and the law had been effective in accomplishing for people unity with God and the forgiveness of sins, that they might enjoy the presence of God forever, if that had been effective, then there would be no need for Christ and no need for a new covenant. But, that's my but, not the writer to the Hebrews. It wasn't faultless. It wasn't effective. It didn't really work. And we read more about it at other points in the book of Hebrews, but this is how he goes on to unpack it for us today. The writer to the Hebrews quotes from an Old Testament prophet, Jeremiah, from Jeremiah 31, To illustrate and explain why it didn't work and why a new covenant was necessary and why that new covenant sealed in the blood of Jesus is so much better. So we read from verse 8 For he finds fault with them. And you might, if you're reading the NIV, it might say with the people. He finds fault with them couple of things to note firstly there contains in these verses just a beautiful picture of the grace of God to his people back then in extending this invitation into relationship with him to be his people to say I will be their God and they will be my people of Israel it's beautiful language isn't it, it says on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt as God freed them from slavery in Egypt. He says, I brought them by the hand out and made this promise to them. And you know the promise God made was perfect. There was nothing wrong with the first covenant from God's side. Like we we do need to get that. Where is the fault in the first covenant? We find in these verses, first up in verse 8, the writer to the Hebrews explains it up front for us. He says, he finds fault with them. He says, ah, the problem with that first covenant was the people. And then he goes on, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. There was nothing wrong, actually, with the law. It's a good law. The problem is with the Israelites' inability to keep it. God graciously called them and covenanted with them. He led them out of slavery, gave them a good and life-giving law. But they couldn't keep it. And neither could we. he establishes a new covenant through Jesus with a new high priest, Jesus. And this time, it's not like the covenant he made with their fathers. Why? We read on from verse 10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds And write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other, one his neighbor, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Now, we know... (laughs) looking back through the New Testament, that the old covenant was always supposed to point us forward to the ministry of Jesus. The, the blood of animals was never intended to actually pay for or capable of paying for the forgiveness of sins of people. It was always pointing forward. But this new covenant, he says, is different. The old covenant didn't work because it relied on their ability to keep it. And it was outside in. The law out there, I just can't do it. No matter how hard we try, we cannot be good enough to earn our way into a relationship with God and if that's news for you today then I'm sorry to break it to you but no matter how good you are you are not good enough to earn your way into a relationship with God he is perfect in all his ways He is unfathomably holy and no one who is in any way tainted by sin can come close. The old covenant trying to earn our way into God's presence does not and cannot and will not work. But this new covenant is so different. So, so different What does he say about it? He says, I will, not they must keep my law. What does he say? He says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. God will do something for people that will have an impact. becomes inside out law written on our hearts rather than something external that we try to live up to. He says, I will, for my people, put my laws on their hearts, in their minds. It's inside out. God sovereignly places his law in his people. That sounds strange, doesn't it? <laughs> Writes it on their hearts. What does that mean, really? Really? means that God gives his people a deep and genuine desire to live in a way that honors and glorifies him. That's what it means to be a Christian, actually, is that you desire to please God. That's what it means, is that actually your your desire is to honor him, to obey him. Now, does that mean you will be perfect. No. (laughs) You're not always going to get it right. But your desire will be to obey him and to please him. Why? Because he's written his law on your heart. If anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. It's another way of expressing that same glorious truth. The old, self-pleasing, sinful nature is gone, dead and buried, and in its place, God gives us new hearts that want to please Him and honour Him. Not that we're perfect, but there's a genuine desire to please Him and a genuine grieving and repentance over sin. We don't sin and go, never mind. We sin and go, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do that anymore. Please, would you help me? Please, would you fill me by your spirit and help me to live in a way that pleases you and honors you? And of those people... The law is written on their hearts. God says, I will be their God, and they will be my people. The writer to the Hebrews helps us see how clear this line is by using what to us might seem like a kind of obscure thing. So he says from verse 11, They shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me From the least of them to the greatest. What's going on in that verse? Well, the old covenant people of God, the descendants of Abraham, were partakers in the old covenant and in the covenant goodness of God by virtue of being descendants of Abraham. Their nationality meant they were partakers of the old covenant. Did that mean they all knew the Lord? No. It it didn't, and that's why he says this. They did not all know the Lord, and that's why they needed to exhort one another, their neighbors and their brothers, know the Lord. Put your trust in Him. Hope in Him. Know the Lord. But... This is not necessary for those who are partakers of the new covenant. They were partakers of the old covenant by virtue of being descendants of Abraham. They did not all know the Lord. Every single person who is in the new covenant by virtue of receiving Jesus' blood as full and complete payment for their sins once and for all, his perfect sacrifice, his death on their behalf for the forgiveness of sins, every single person in whom the Holy Spirit has written the law on their hearts is one of his people. It's not a political or national identity. You are not and cannot be part of the new covenant by any means other than being regenerate or being born again by the Spirit, a new creation in Jesus Christ. And that means that no new covenant people need to hear the exhortation, know the Lord, because they do. Does that make sense? Old covenant. Not everyone under the old covenant knew the Lord. But every single person who has been made new in Christ Jesus, making them a member of the new covenant people of God, does know the Lord. That's why he says, they will not... Teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Every person who hopes in Christ knows the Lord and is secure in him. It's encouraging, isn't it? It is. (laughs) It its We read on from verse 12, some more of what that means for those who trust in Jesus. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The old covenant with its sacrifices and requirements to keep the law in order to draw near to God, is obsolete and has been replaced with something so much better. Where for the people of God there is mercy and forgiveness. The new is not like the old. It's better. It doesn't rest on us on what we have done we've done nothing to earn it it's his work his sovereign work notice that he says I will I will write it on their hearts I will accomplish this work in my people and because we've done nothing to earn it that also means we cannot lose it the problem or weakness, or fault that the writer to the Hebrews identifies with the old covenant was our inability to keep it. But the new covenant is better in every conceivable way because Jesus, who has secured it for us, is better in every way. And so I want us to Conclude, and we're going to share communion in a moment, in responding. And I think there's two main ways that we respond to knowing this. And the first is to know that if you've fallen short, and I just want to let you know, you have, <laughs> but if you've fallen short and that grieves you and you want to please him, <laughs> then there is forgiveness. There is mercy. Because of Jesus, God says he will be merciful, that forgiveness can be found, that he will remember your sins no more. So as we share communion in a moment, I want to encourage you, if you know that there's stuff, even in this week, that you need to come to god and deal with repent of bring to him and say lord please have mercy would you forgive me we can do that confident as we come to the table to receive communion knowing that jesus has paid the price and knowing the promise of these verses that he will be merciful that he will remember our sins no more He's dealt with them fully. but I want to say to you that I think this passage gives us a helpful diagnostic. See, I've had conversations with people over time, lots of people over time. How do I know? Like if I'm a Christian, how can I know if I'm saved? Like I go to church and and I read the Bible, but like, how can I know? Like I, I want assurance, well i think this verse these verses give us actually a very helpful diagnostic that we can use to examine our hearts and it's not complex See, if you know <laughs> that you live in some ways in rebellion against god if you know that there are things in your life that are sinful and you honestly couldn't care and you're quite happy to persist in those things and ignore any conscience on that and it doesn't grieve you in any way and there's no fight or no sense in which you feel like oh Lord I'm sorry. Like I don't want to do that. Why like it's okay to have that fight, right? We get that sense in the New Testament. Why do I do the things I hate to do? Like that fight is appropriate and healthy. But if you sin and you just pff, whatever water off a duck's back, doesn't bother you at all, then respectfully, I think the Bible actually, not just this passage, but I think the Bible would teach you are not a Christian you may attend church and you may partake in religious activity but but you are not a Christian that his law has not been written on your heart if there is no desire to obey him and no sense of grief over sin then I, I think I, I want to warn you today I think you're in a dangerous place Please though do not let the potential offense of me saying that drive you away. Instead, I want you to hear the invite to come. If you've heard me say that and you're like, I don't want to be in that place. I say, that's that's good news. That's good news. You don't have to stay in that place. You can come and find forgiveness. You can come and put your trust in him. You can come. And I believe, as you do, that he will pour out his spirit and write his law on your heart. That you become a new creation in that moment. With a desire to please him and live for him. There is forgiveness to be found. We read in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just And will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want to encourage you today. Don't leave without doing that. You know, in a moment we're going to take communion. Communion is for those who have put their trust in Jesus. Actually for those whom the law has been written on their hearts. And it's a meal for us to come and remember what he's done for us. To celebrate the freedom we have in him to rejoice in the fact that actually our sins are forgiven, that there is mercy, that there is grace. If you came into today casual in your sin, then I want to say, please, I want to encourage you to pray, to find forgiveness. You can come and share communion with us. So there's two broad responses. For those who know, Lord, my desire is to please you and to honor you. And those who know that hasn't been the case. In many senses, our response is the same though. It's to come to him. To say, Lord, I'm confessing my sin. Confessing my rebellion against you this week. I'm confessing those things I've done that I know don't please you don't bring glory to you my selfishness my pride my anger bitterness jealousy whatever it might be for you to say Lord I don't want to be like that would you forgive me I'm going to lead us in prayer now and then invite Dave, to come and lead us in communion. I want to encourage you to just join this prayer where you are, however is appropriate for you today. Jesus, I thank you that you are the mediator of a better covenant, one that doesn't rest on our ability to do anything actually other than to acknowledge our total and utter dependence on you Jesus we thank you that your sacrifice at the cross was perfect and fully effective for the forgiveness of our sins Lord that you died in our place so that we might find forgiveness so that we might inherit life and life eternal. Jesus, I thank you so much that you've done that on our behalf. That you are our true and better high priest. That that sacrifice never needs to be repeated. You're not looking to us now to pay in some way for our sins. Lord, we know that we could never pay for our sins we could never do enough but I thank you that you don't ask us to you just invite us to come confess our need of you to turn away from trying to live to please ourselves and to say Lord please forgive us we're coming back to you again today Lord, I pray that you would fill us again with your spirit. Help us to live for you this week. Lord, we thank you that you write your law on our hearts. Lord, I pray that right now you would, by your spirit, just turn up the dial on that desire to please you and to honor you. Lord, where maybe our gaze has slipped, where maybe we've grown Weary in our faith, where maybe we've just begun to kind of grow apathetic, maybe we've grown complacent in terms of sin. Lord, I pray by your Spirit now that you would remind us again of the law that you've written on our hearts that desire to please you. And would you turn the dial up, Lord, that we would have a greater desire to honor you, a greater desire for your glory, a greater longing that you would be pleased (laughs) that you would be honored that you would be glorified and god i pray that you would help us to be a people who are quick to repent of our sins quick to come to you and know the joy of sins forgiven and conscience cleansed we thank you lord that you promise us in your word that you will have mercy on our transgressions, that you remember our sins no more, that when we confess, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. And so we come to you again now. Say, Lord, forgive us. Lord, make us clean. Lord, fill us again and help us to live for your glory and for the good of those around us. Amen.